Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you, and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting to Adrian Gardner, Mantis founder and chairman, about the developments on St. Helena. Tourism entrepreneur Samantha Umtanini will be joining us this evening, and she's the owner and managing director of Go Camissa Travel. It's a touring company whose primary focus is on township tours. And then we'll be exploring the Friedefort Dome, a World Heritage Site in the Free State, and we'll be speaking there with tour guide Jan Faree. And finally, intrepid traveller Graham Howe will be back with us in the studio this evening, and he'll be continuing his trip along the wild Atlantic Way in Ireland. And a reminder, there's a list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. And if you'd like any of them, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. You can also contact me on travel at safm.co.za. And in the next day or so, I'll be adding loads more documents. I've got some very exciting ones all about things to do in Josie, in Durban, in Polokwane. And there's also information there on the new unabridged birth certificate travel requirements. So if you'd like any of those documents, just drop me a line and I'll send them off to you. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, recently, the St. Helena government and the Department for International Development on St. Helena announced the appointment of Comair Limited as the provider of air services to St. Helena and the selection of Mantis as the preferred operator of the 123 Main Street Hotel. Well, to tell us more about these much-talked-about developments, I'm joined this evening by Adrian Gardner, Mantis founder and chairman. Adrian, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we last chatted. Hello, Corin, are you there? Yes, I am. Good evening. Can you hear me? Hi there. Yeah, I can hear you now. Thank you, Corin. Yes, I remember our our last discussion very well when we just got back from there. Yes. So, yes, very exciting that we were appointed. We were up against some fairly large international companies worldwide, and it's, uh, I think, a great privilege for us and South Africa to be awarded the uh, contract to operate and manage the hotel. So at this point in time, the design has been approved and the plans have been lodged and we expect them to be approved shortly. And then the building with alteration, it's one, two, three, as you said, Main Street in Jamestown, will then be undertaken by Basil Reed, whom you know are building the airport, which mm. we hope, that, or they hope to have finished by March, February, March next year. And I was speaking to the governor recently and he said everything was on track. So for us, a very exciting time in Mantis' development. So when are you hoping to open the hotel, sort of first half of next year? Yeah, again, obviously to try and tie in with the first flights that go there. There's quite a tight program for it, but it's a, it's a conversion of an existing building. So the first phase is not that big. It's only 30-odd rooms with a, a restaurant, and obviously we've got to do a lot of training because there's only been one hotel there, and it's never run at great occupancy because obviously with the, the ship going in and out as it is, um, it only has it has peak and then valley. So now with the airline going in, hopefully we're going to run at some great occupancies. And there's, I must say, Corin, there's been unbelievable interest in that island because it's one of the places in the world which is unseen for the majority of the population of this world. And obviously in our market research, which we did, it's quite interesting to know that there's an incredible interest, obviously, out of France because the most two revered people in French political history are Napoleon and de Gaulle. So with Napoleon having, as we know, been exiled there and died there, 
that's obviously a great interest. And then there's a great South African interest because there are a number of saints that live in South Africa. And then with the Boer camp that was over there, with some 6,000 6, odd South Africans that were also there for some considerable time. So there's interest, that's for sure. Now, the actual hotel, to get back to that, Adrian, the thing is you're restoring an existing building, but you very the thing about Mantis is that when you do this kind of thing, you're very sensitive to the history and the environment and the local community, and I'm assuming, as I'm sure, it will be exactly the same thing here. Uh, probably even more uh, than uh, some of our other stuff because of the sensitivities and the history, and obviously, as you've rightly said, you know, um, we're very protective of that sort of thing, and we sort of nurture to, uh, nature today for tomorrow, but that's the natural side of it. But we also apply that to heritage. So, you know, we don't just knock down buildings. As you know, we've, we've been very involved in protecting them. And we're just actually launching a new product within our collection, and we're about to launch our first new product very shortly, which is going to be Mantis Heritage Hotels. And so we've already lined up about five or six worldwide that are wanting to join this portfolio. So I'm hoping that uh, the St. Helena one will qualify for that portion of our collection. And the other thing as well, Adrian, that you're going to be doing with this hotel is is developing the, the locals. You're going to be passing on skills to the locals. Because as you said, the one and only hotel that's been there, that hasn't been a sort of 24-7 year-round hotel. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, with our association, with Mantis's association, as you know, in our, in our five divisions, one of the most important ones is education. So we know we have the university in Port Alfred, Stenden, which is the only university in Southern Africa where you can do BCom in hotel management and hospitality with a semester in wildlife. So we've already got some students that are coming over, and we've created some short courses for them so they don't have to go through the whole degree process. And where we've, uh, I think we've developed an incredible association with the university. As you know, I was part, uh, part of the founding team that founded that, and I still chair the board. So we're just opening a new hotel in Nigeria. And what we've had done, we've sent some students over, we've sent lecturers over uh, to Lagos, and they train on site. So it's a great opportunity for both the university and then the students that come to the university to get trained. So... That part of our business, and we, as you rightly said, we love to protect the locals and develop the locals into our sort of love for hospitality. So will you be sending any of the lecturers over to St. Helena? I'm sure they'd love to go. <laughs> no, definitely. That, that'll happen. That's for absolute certain it'll happen. And that was, I think, probably part of our bid that uh, made us more successful than others. And it just seems to resonate quite well in our, in our small space that we operate in is that we really do take special care of the local people and try and develop them and teach them and give them responsibility rather than just sending what we would like to call expatriates into the area. And we've been successful with it, I must tell you. Now, I mean, St. Helena has always been one of those very desolate, or not, it's not, isn't desolate, but it has that appearance or that feeling of being desolate and out there in the most remote, well, it is one of the most remote places in the world. And people couldn't get there that easily because, I mean, the, the ship, the RMS St. Helena, took about, I think it was quite a long trip. It was a week or something to get there. And you didn't normally spend much time and you had to get an attendant to get off the ship and onto the land. And it was quite a mission. It was quite an experience. And having the airport now, people can just fly in whenever they want to. Uh, do you think it's going to change the feeling of the island at all? 
Well, let me just get back and answer that question of yours there, or what you said there. It was a mission to get there. I went there, and it takes five days to get there, if you're lucky. Then the boat goes to Ascension. So then you've got to wait another eight days for it to come back, then five days back again. So you were gone for 18 days. That's, you know, that was a scheduled trip. So now, as you say, it's going to take four and a half hours from Johannesburg. The flights are going to go from Johannesburg to St. Helena. Now, there has been major concern amongst the population there. How is it going to change the island? And, you know, a lot of people, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Now, you know, the sadness of that island is that a lot of the families, it's still a British protectorate, so they all have British passports, so they can go and work in Europe. So a lot of the breadwinners had gone, and families, like, uh, when I say families, mothers and fathers were bringing up children while the people went to other parts of the world to make a living. So, you know, it's going to change. Of that, there's absolutely no doubt. But, you know, let's hope it's going to change for the positive. Let's hope it's not going to be just overrun and the people are going to be overwhelmed. But you're right when you say it's going to change. It has to change because all of a sudden people can get there and it's some part of the world that we haven't seen and they're going to want to see it. But, but that's obviously good for the hotel. Well, besides the hotel, Adrian, I mean, it's, they're, going to be, they're going to be the need for tour guides over there. So there's a lot more job opportunities, I think, that are going to be available now than there ever been before. Absolutely no question. There's going to be, I think, more car hire. You know, the whole multiplier effect of what's going to happen in there. You know, there's also curio shops. All sorts of things are going to come alive from being, uh, let's call it, a fairly sterile environment and a protected environment. So, you know, it's it's happening. It's going to happen. And uh, I just hope that the population are going to embrace it. The feeling that we have is that the majority are really looking forward to it because it opens up the whole world to them, not only to us, but to them as well. But also the other advantage, if, if you can look at it like that, is that there are not going to be hundreds of hotel rooms available. So you're not going to have hordes of people at any one given time on the island. No, and I think, I hope, Corin, is that they're going to develop the B&Bs. There are a few around mm. there, and I think more will open. So more beds will become available, and then we also have the option for the second site on Ladder Hill, and uh, so I think maybe that will come alive. And then there's a third site right on the dock where there's a currently a pub there that, uh, that's quite well frequently frequented. So there are three sites. So I think once that goes, but you must remember that the flight at the moment is going weekly. So it's only going in, call it, every Saturday. So it'll go there and bring people back. So it's not a case of a daily flight. Mm. So the, the, the influx isn't going to be that great to start with. I think the sadness is because they're going to pull the... RMS. Yes, that is sad. Now, yeah, and uh, you know, I would have thought a great holiday would have been to go on the boat five days, spend five days there and fly home, mm. you know, because you can't get that sort of mail ship experience anymore in the world. And that's a true mail ship. It really is. Yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal experience going on that, I must tell you. You know, to be cut off from the world for five days was quite a pleasure for a while. <laughs> I'm sure it was. But the other thing as well, I mean, besides that, it will change the lives, as you said, work-wise and opportunity-wise, but also the people, the, the saints that, are, that come back to South Africa, because they do come back and forth quite as often as they can, I'm sure. But it, it, the whole trip is going to be so much easier for them because a lot of them have family here in South Africa. No, absolutely no question. I mean, can you think of them having to take whatever it was, 18 days out of their schedule. Now it's four hours and they're here and they can go back the following week. So, you know, that also can have a detrimental effect. And I don't mean this in a, in a, in a bad way, in that are those people going to take up the majority of the seats on the plane, of course, at 130,
when we're trying to get tourists there because you've got the same saints going backwards and forwards. So it's quite an interesting dilemma that they're going to be faced with. And then obviously the hope is that they'll put on more flights. But I think the most important thing for it to work as a tourism destination is there's still talk about the flight coming out of Europe directly to St. Helena. Mm. You know, and that's, that's a particular airline, uh, aircraft that can land there in terms of the runway. So you couldn't fly direct from London to there because the, the, the runway is not long enough. But they say you can go into Spain, and from Spain you can go there and still have that X amount of fuel to be able to get out of trouble if you got into trouble. So that, that I think, would make a huge difference to the tourism part of the island if we could get that flight out of London. Well, from a very, or out of Europe. Yeah, well, from a very personal point of view, I'm maybe being a bit selfish, but I'm really looking forward to the airport opening because I'm not a boat person. I don't do well on ships, but I'd rather do far better on an aeroplane. And it's somewhere that I've always been dying to go to. I've had a few opportunities to go, but the thought of five days there and five days back on a ship, I just thought, no, let's just stay here on the ground. We'll wait for the airport. And now it's arriving, and- so I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, and the only other way, as you rightly said, was that the cruise liners used mm. to go there, Doc. And you'd get on a tender boat and spend a day there. Yes, which and is go. not enough so that, time. That, no, that was just, you know, and it's the way, weather was too bad, the tender boats yes. couldn't go in. So mm. that wasn't, wasn't an option. And then, as you say, you go, you're on a cruise. So I, I agree with you. In today's world, unless you've got the time, well, you know, nobody's got the time to do the 18 days. No. But I still think that the five days would have been an option. But... You know, I hope I'm going to join you on that flight. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go there on a flight because you get there a whole lot quicker and you don't have to stay there, wait for the other ship to come back. So you can come and go, as well, as you say, in a week, which is great. <laughs> Fantastic. Saturday I to Saturday. We Fabulous. Well, you know, it'll, it's going to definitely start in February, March. They're on target. And, you know, some hell of a lot of money later. But, you know, I think it's both uh, to open the island, strategic, whatever else you want to call it. But it's happening. And, you know, it's quite exciting. We've got to know the people on the island quite well. We have, uh, maybe you'd like to do an interview with him, which I could arrange. Mm, I'd love I think to. On the 2nd of July, the governor's coming through and mm. we have a, a dinner at uh, the, the, the embassy here. So it's, it's, it's really genuinely very exciting for us. And I must say, we as Mantis are very proud to have got the job. And I think we're proud for South Africa to be that closely associated with both Kame and ourselves. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the appointment, and Adrian. I think it's wonderful. And uh, we hope we'll be chatting soon. And I must chat with you about speaking to the governor while he's here. So thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. Always a pleasure to speak to you. And thank you to your listeners. Thank you, Adrian. Good night to you. Good night. Adrian Gardner is the founder and chairman of the Mantis Collection. And for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's www.mantiscollection.com. And Mantis is M-A-N-T-I-S. Mantiscollection.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. There's far more to Cape Town than Table Mountain beaches and wine, says tourism entrepreneur Samantha Mtanini. She's the owner and managing director of Go Camissa Travel. It's a touring company whose primary focus is township tours. Samantha, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, good evening, Karen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This sounds like an amazing business you have. I was looking at the tours that you offer, very unique tours you've put on your list but the whole thing started with you you have you did have a background in tourism management and then you took yourself off to the um was it the raymond ackerman academy at the university of cape town and you went there and did a whole marketing sort of management course yes that's correct and then this was a passion of yours mm. the township tours tell me a little bit about the tours themselves 
Look, like uh, you've already mentioned or stated, uh, it's, it's not only about what you see as you learn from Cape Town International Airport, because mostly you'll see the shacks, then you'll see the mountain, you'll see beautiful beaches. In the mindset of many tourists, when they see the slums coming from the airport, driving towards the highway, they think, wow, you know, is this Cape Town? Up until they come closer to the city, to the beauty, it's when they realize, wow, this is like Europe forgetting that the bigger part of the community is in those townships. The majority of Cape Townians are in those townships that they've just passed. So basically, on our tours, we are focusing on the history of Cape Town, including the, the other side of Cape Town, mainly the townships, showing the tourists those communities so that they can have a chance to engage with the people in those communities, get to experience the life in the township. But that's not all you do, Samantha. You also do the Cape Peninsula tours, the Winelands tours, and you do all of the regular things as well, but you also have all these amazing things that people can do besides that. Yes. The one I thought was actually so so much fun was the Township Disky tour. That's the social soccer tour because that's very much a very large part of life in the townships. Yes, it is a very popular tour basically for uh, young travellers or groups of students. And then on Sundays, we have also a very popular show where we take people to the township in a church where they can listen to the gospel singing and get to engage with the congregants in the church, trying to sing along the African songs. And the other thing that really appealed to me was the cooking or the food tour. When you go, you can actually go and enjoy food in the home of, of, of a local resident. Mm, yes, the cooking experience. Yeah, that's also another interesting um, kind of a product that we have established where we get the chance for the tourists to be in a home environment uh, where they get the host, uh, you know, telling the story about the cooking, the culture of the closer people, the kind of food that we eat on a normal basis or when we have traditional ceremonies and so on. So you've got quite a range of different tours to, uh, that you can offer your visitors. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I always like to ask you, though, because this is the kind of thing where, unfortunately, more of your visitors, I would imagine, are international tourists than more yes. than locals. Yes, that's correct. Now, it should be the other way around. <laughs> well, basically, most of the locals don't say, well, I know where these townships are. I can drive myself. I can go to the wineries myself and so on. So that's why we, we, we started off putting our foot uh, with focus in the townships so that we can draw an interest of many people uh, who are not actually living in the townships. Maybe they might be living on the other side of Cape Town, but they've never been to the township. But I must say there's still a lot of fear with the locals, with us Capetonians who are living on the northern suburbs or the southern suburbs. So I would say about 75 to 80% of my clients is international tourists. But I do get few locals, Capetonians, that are coming on the other side, uh, you know, signing up for such a talk. The other thing that is often discussed, though, Samantha, and I'm sure you've heard it a lot, is that people feel very voyeuristic. They don't feel comfortable going to watch other people's lives. And you say that that's not the point. Yes. Basically, there's quite a number of tour operators that are conducting tours. So it's how, you know, the tours are being conducted. We still have those people that just make a drive through the township. You know, and, and really, it's annoying for the people who live there because it looks like in a game drive. 
But we people who come from those communities who are familiar, when we started in developing our products, we decided that we're going to make sure that people, they get an authentic experience by meeting locals who are living in there, sharing their stories and their own experience. And it's, it's for the economy of the township, it must be quite a, a boost to the economy as well. Yes, the city of Cape Town, the Department of Tourism and Infrastructure, for a couple of years they've trained locals, a lot of young kids, some that have finished high school with financial constraints to further their studies, going to colleges. Some have been trained as local tourist guides and tourist ambassadors, so they kind of, you know, assisting the tourists when they come to the township, making sure that it is safe for them to walk around, making them to feel welcome in those communities by walking with them, sharing their stories, taking them into local places where they'll usually hang around over the weekends for a drink or maybe for some dance and so on. You also go up to District 6 as well. So as I said, it's the full Cape Town experience. I can, I'm looking at your website. It's got the full Cape Town experience on there. Yes, basically from the city of Cape Town all the way to the township. So we start uh, on District 6, the site, trying to unpack the whole story of evictions from the city in District 6 all the way to what today we call the Cape Flats, the greater part of Cape Town's townships. And just tell me about the name. It's called Go Kamisa Tours. Tell me about Kamisa. What does that mean? Kamisa is an indigenous uh, word. It's a koikoi word. means a place of sweet waters. According to the history of Cape Town, at the slopes of the mountain, there used to be this one river that never went dry. So the Khoisan people, they used to source water in there. The same river used to wash down, forming streams, feeding the company's garden all the way down to the, to the ocean. So the, the Khoisans used to call it the River Kamisa, but in English it means a place of sweet water. I think it's rather a lovely name. It's a very beautiful <laughs> name to call something. It's lovely. And for people who wouldn't have known what Kamisa st- stood for, now they know exactly what it means. And mm. th- th- it seems to me, Samantha, that the whole idea of your, your business and the tours you do and th- the experiences that you give to your visitors, it's very much a case of Ubuntu. It's, and if people don't know what that is, in the international visitors coming here, they'll soon know what it is by the time they leave. That's correct. So that's a large part of, of what you do with your business. I think it's an amazing situation. Yes, definitely. And um, I was just looking at the list. Is there any more that you're planning, any more new tours you've got possibly in the pipeline? Yes, uh, now we are busy with Cape Town Tourism as we are members of Cape Town Tourism. Uh, they have just have a winter campaign because they are trying to sell Cape Town as all-year-round destination. So from June up until September, so they are inviting all the tour operators to bring up new products that will carry on towards winter. So we are working on that now. We are bringing a product for winter that is going to be focusing on domestic tourists. Maybe someone coming from Durban wants to spend a holiday in Cape Town, maybe a weekend, just a long weekend. So, by the way, from Cape Town Tourism, the marketing team, uh, the campaign uh, says, Hello Weekend. Mm. So we will be busy putting some products for weekends for domestic tourists. Well, it sounds like you're really on the right track here, Samantha, and I wish you much success with your business. It's uh, one of those things we've, I think we've been lacking enough of these real Cape Town experiences, and you've really got it all going there. But So thank mm. you very much indeed for your time this evening. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was really nice to chat with you. Thank you. Good Cheers. night. Bye-bye. Bye.
Samantha Mtanini is the owner and managing director of GoCamissa Travel. And for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's www.gocamissa.co.za and it's C-A-M-I-S-S-A, gocamissa.co.za. And if you'd like to apply for the Entrepreneurial Development Short Course at the Raymond Ackerman Academy at UCT's Graduate School of Business, there is a website. It's ackermanacademy.co.za or you can call 021 4061422 and you need to do that before the 12th of June this year. Time to travel with Karen Key. Right, so imagine an asteroid the size of Table Mountain heading for Earth at a speed of 20 kilometers per second. It's packing more punch than multiple nuclear bombs. It penetrates 17 kilometers deep into the Earth and leaves an impact crater so large it's been declared a World Heritage Site. Well, thankfully, the meteorite collision that formed the Fort Dome happened a long time ago, more than two million years back before life as we know it. Jan Ferry is the owner of Dome Impact Tours and he will guide you to observe the wonders of the oldest and largest meteorite impact structure on Earth. Jan, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. What a wonderful job you have. Spending time, <laughs> Thank you very much. Spending time there. Now, I mentioned the Fredafort Dome. It's a World Heritage Site. I said it was in the Free State, but for those who don't know where it is, where exactly is it? Where exactly is it? The Fredafort Dome yes. is approximately 100, 120 kilometers southwest of Johannesburg. And uh, is a representative part of a large meteorite impact structure. Dating back 2,023 million years, it's the oldest and also largest meteorite impact structure known on Earth. And uh, due to the fact that the town Fredafort is close to the geometric center of the impact crater, researchers started to speak of it as the Fredafort Dome. And today the name is known and used worldwide. And the Fredafort Dome is the best preserved impact site of its size and the only example to provide a full geological profile. Now, this came to be when a massive rock from outer space collided with Earth near the present-day towns of Fredafort and Paris. The impact took place, as you said, 2,023 million years ago and created a crater of 300 kilometers in diameter. Wow. So it's very big. Yeah, it's it's as large as the... Yeah, as I said, it's the largest on Earth. Now, Jan, you take tour groups into the area. And I mean, I was looking at your website which is, you know, it's, it's called Dome Impact Tours, if people want to go and have a look. But you offer five different tours, and I was absolutely amazed at the amount of stuff you could see and do there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, well, as, as, as people come, they have different uh, needs, and they want us to, to, to experience different things. So I've put together a number of tours, for example, a geological tour, and this is the geological tour is for people mostly, uh, geologists and geology students who want to see and study the unique rock types and rock formations in the impact crater. In the Fredafort crater, all these rocks are exposed on the surface and easily accessible for the purposes of study and research. And that's what makes the, uh, 
the Fairfield crater unique because all the impact indicators are found on the surface and easy, easily accessible. Now, I was actually quite amazed to hear or to read on your site that there are more than 330 species of indigenous birds in the area. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And so if, if birders want to come, I mean, it's an absolute goldmine for them. Yeah, imagine how much excitement and, uh, and pleasure birders can have in an area with 330-plus indigenous species of water birds, grassfield birds, forest birds, in a radius of about 50 kilometers. In that small in, area, wow. Indeed, the area which, which should be on the wish list of every serious bird watcher. And, uh, so, I mean, you've got the geological tours, you've got the birding tours, and then the history and culture in the area as well, because, I mean, there's evidence of human habitation right back to the Stone Age. Yeah, I mean, before uh, modern times, the Fredafort area was rich in wild animals. Hunters, hunters, hunter-gatherers roamed the area and left their art, for example, in the form of rock engravings or petroglyphs, uh, of the animals they hunted on ancient rock formations. And those are clear signs that early people and animals occupied the same space and lived in harmony in this area. And uh, evidence of human habitation and activity in the Fredford Dome dates back uh, to late Stone Age, early Iron Age, early uh, European settlers, Anglo-Boer War. We also have a gold mining uh, history, and, uh, of course, all up to modern times. But now, if, I, if I'm correct, that when that meteorite hit the area, it forced, up, forced the ground up, and that's why there was a gold rush there, because all the gold came up. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's an... Int- <laughs> uh, very ba- that was a very basic explanation. A, a complicated, a it was mm-hmm. a complicated process and complicated to, to explain. But, uh, in essence, when, a, when a, uh, an impact takes place, it's always after the impact is a rebound and causing a central uplift, which is actually then called called a dome by geologists. And that central uplift actually pulled some gold-bearing conglomerates closer to the surface, and after all the erosion that took place over so many millions of years, the uh, gold-bearing conglomerates are exposed on the surface or are very near to the surface in the hills in the in the dome area, sure. and that's what's why it was possible to mine for gold in this area. Now, when do you run these tours, Jan? Are they every day, or do you have to book specific tours on specific days? How does that work? Uh, tours uh, are run any day of the week, all year, all year round, and a typical dome tour will take about five, five to eight hours to complete depending on the need and the time to the, at, the, at the disposal of the group. And the time can be adjustable. So, so any, any, any day of the week, any time of the year. So it's a very personalized, it's a very personalized tour then? Yeah. Okay, so they can just phone up. I'll give out the contact details in a moment, but they can just phone up and say, I'd like to do this tour or that tour on this day at that time, and you basically fit in around them. That's quite, Any tour, any time, any, any day, any time of the year. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's so accommodating to the tourists. I mean, that's incredible. 
Say again? I said, I've never met anybody who's been quite as accommodating as you are to people wanting to come and see something. You know, you can just say this day, that time, that tour, and they yeah, can decide yeah, for themselves really. and you just fit in with them. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's possible for me to do it like that. That's wonderful. Now, the thing I always worry about with things like this, are these mostly international visitors or are us South Africans coming to explore our history? Well, people come from far and wide to see and experience the phenomenon of South Africa's mega impact rate. It's not something that only South Africans do. We get just as many international visitors in the Fredriford Dome area. And it's quite amazing at times to find how well-informed international tourists are about the Fredriford Dome and knowing exactly what they want to see. Well, it's nice to hear that South Africans are also doing that because I always worry that we don't explore our own country. We are exploring our own country. That's always good to hear because I always worry that the international visitors are coming because they know about the thing and we live here and it's just around the corner and we don't go and see it. And I'm glad to hear that a lot of us are coming up to have a look at the dome. It's one of those, almost a thing you need to put on your bucket list. You have to go and see this sometime in your life because as we said, it's a World Heritage Site. It's the largest crater of a, of, a, of a size from a meteorite impact in the world. I mean, you're not going to find one anything like this anywhere else. So I suggest if you're looking for something really interesting to do, pop off to the Free State and go and have a look at the Freda Fort Dome. And I'll give out all Jan's contact details. And then, can, as, I, I, can I just add that yes. uh, in, in, in the Freda Fort Dome, uh, everything is easy accessible. I've, I've mentioned that. And... Uh, it, it can any time it can be visited, and uh, you know that uh, all the geological indicators of a meteorite impact is not necessary to dig or drill for it; they all on the surface. Oh, so it's very easy to see. That's, that actually makes the whole tour even easier then. That's correct. Jan, I'm so grateful to you for your time this evening, and thank you so much for joining me on the show, and I'm hopefully you'll see a lot of my listeners coming up to pay you a visit soon. Thank you very much indeed for all that wonderful information. Have a it, pleasant evening. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Good night to you. Good night. Tour guide Jan Faree is the owner of Dome Impact Tours, and if you'd like to find out more, take a look at the website. It's www domeimpacttours.co.za or you can find them on Facebook. Time to travel with Karen Key. Graham Howell's back with us again this evening. The last time he was here, we didn't quite get to the end of his Irish adventure. And so I asked him to come back again this evening, which he always seems to do because he comes back with so much information. doesn't fit all into one interview. So, Graham, welcome back again. Thanks, Karen. And um, we mentioned last time you were here, you were on the Wild Atlantic Way. It's a new route that's been opened by Tourism Island. And uh, you sort of started in Doolin when we, when we were chatting last time. And we didn't quite get to the end of your trip. So where are you now? You were in Scattery Island now, I think. That's we were halfway the last time. Leaving the cliffs of Moa mm. and Doolin um, and uh, the Aran Islands behind, we headed down to the south of County Clare on the Wild Atlantic Way. And we took a short ferry ride from a marina, a little port called Kilrush on the coast, to Scattery Island, which is one of the 190 discovery points on the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's, again, it's one of those sort of lesser-known destinations. of Apparently only some 2,000 people visit it um, every year. And it's a small island which lies near the mouth of the Shannon River, the longest river in Ireland. And it's uninhabited today, but it was the home of St. Sinan, uh, who established a monastery here in the first half of the 6th century AD. 
Andy. It's a very evocative um, little island, a very small island which you can walk around. And it has six churches, a monastery, a cathedral, and an old bell tower. Now, these are one of the uh, some uh, 79 towers or so, I think, that uh, were built uh, throughout um, Ireland. And some people say they were used to warn of impending Viking um, raids uh, in earlier centuries. Um, but they were certainly used to call um, both pilgrims and the faithful to prayer. And it's an ecclesiastical settlement of, of some note. It was plundered by the Vikings, in fact, in 972, and then by the Normans and by all the other people who've ever invaded Ireland. So they say St. Patrick never came to County Clare because he knew St. Senum was taking good care of the county. <laughs> and apparently today, the honorary bishop of Scattery is none other than the, the, the bishop of Brooklyn, New York. Or well, they could um, see New York, we say, last there. time. Exactly, <laughs> so he could keep an eye with binoculars mm, or a strong telescope like now, on there's his no, there's, island. There's no one living there now, you said. It's, it's completely uninhabited. All these no, beautiful no. old buildings or ruins of buildings. Yes. Is it actually worth going there? What are you going to do there? Just really look at, which I would love to do, look at all those old buildings. Well, yes, I mean, the, the ancient gravestones mm. are very evocative. It's full of different styles of Celtic crosses. And in fact, it's, it's renowned for its very unusual gravestones and markings, with some of which show biblical scenes, but with people wearing Victorian top hats and, and tails and coats. And so there was obviously a very um, creative uh, mm. tombstone carver on Scattery uh, in, the, in the 1800s. It was a cold and rainy day. In fact, one of the few, we were so lucky to have fantastic weather when we were there in spring. But it's in Ireland, apparently, they call it a Vivaldi day. They say four seasons in one day. Well, can I steal that for Cape Town? Because we pretty much have four seasons <laughs> do, in a day here. We do, we do, absolutely. Oh, I um, like that. And the postmaster and his wife, Brian and Patricia O'Monohan, that were the last residents to leave Scattery in 1978, and I guess there was no one left to, <laughs> to live a mail to. Um, but in 1911, there were still 130 residents fishing and farming here. And uh, the locals say now only the dead and lots of rabbits are left. And there's a new small museum and a display centre. And it's a very short ferry crossing, about, I don't know, 15 minutes or half an hour to get over to the island. And, and it's famous for St. Senan's Well, which is supposed to have curative powers. Although judging from the state of the water um, oh. in the well today, I certainly wouldn't put uh, any of it near my lips. Apparently, it still attracts many pilgrims. And the way you're supposed to arrive on Scattery Island is to take your shoes off and, and then crawl barefoot up this very rocky, not exactly what we'd call a beach okay. in South Africa. And then you, you, you do this, this the sort of holy trail around Scattery Island, uh, ending up at the well. But I have heard tell that most people bring their own whiskey over to drink after they get okay. to the well um, okay. to make sure that... Um, now, while you were there, I mean, you, I think you said you had one of the hottest days in Ireland that, so far that year. I mean, we they did. must have been sweltering it. What was it? In fact, the, uh, the receptionist at the Spanish Armada Hotel told me proudly, she said, gosh, we've had the hottest day in Ireland today. I said, gee, what was that? So she said it almost reached 20 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> So okay. um, after visiting Scattery, we actually warmed up at Crotty's, a famous old pub founded by one of the local musicians, Elizabeth Crotty, who was apparently one of Ireland's most famous concertina players. And her old wooden pub nearby to Scattery Island, to Kilrush, is uh, still known for its snugs. A snug oh, is what is an old snug. wooden nook or cranny um, where women used to drink in the old days of the sort of men-only bars and were not to be seen drinking in public. And okay. so it still has those. And, and I must say, they, they did a fresh seafood platter for us of mussels and crab and mm. uh, 
You're making me hungry oh, now. Salmon, uh, smoked salmon. But there is quite a, there's quite a good, like, a, is there a food trail on this there trail? Is there, in fact, okay. there's specifically a food trail through the borough that can do and a map that's essential to take you called um, Good Food Island. On In this particular section, it's famous for its St. Tola's goat's cheese. Even 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 the cheese is named after a saint <laughs> in Ireland. Um, and it is a delicious cheese. And also for their free-range lamb and smoked salmon, their seafood, their shellfish, their wild honey, farm breads, and also um, farmer markets. I was very amused at a restaurant called Bartra nearby in the village of La Hinch. We went out um, one evening and the, the owner and chef, Teresa O'Brien, told me when I asked her whether their salmon was home smoked, she said, yes, it is. And we only use oak chips we get from the local coffin maker. <laughs> so I thought, charming. She said this um, without a hint of up, irony. Not having salmon tonight, thank yes. you. I asked Teresa if I, because uh, it had been a long day um, and, and we'd been on another long walk. And I, I said, would you happen to have an alcohol-free beer? And she said, I've never heard of this stuff. She said, I don't think we'd be having alcohol-free beer in, in Ireland. <laughs> And you went off after that to somewhere called Loophead. What is that? Yes, now Loophead is, is this very sort of gnarly long finger, which is a peninsula that stretches out into the wild Atlantic. And it's on the wild Atlantic way and it's closed to coaches. So, uh, you know, if you're doing an independent self-drive, which I think is really the way to do this, although there are package tours available, um, which you could take with, with any of the big um, coach companies along the wild Atlantic way. But if you're driving it yourself, which is the way I would prefer to do it, then I think Loophead Peninsula would be an ideal destination. Narrow country lanes. It's the only Irish destination named in the Sustainable Destinations Global Top 100 uh, last year. And it's a wild loop that stretches out into the Atlantic. In fact, a sign at one of the furthest bars, Keating's Bar, in the village of Kilbaha, claims the nearest bar to New York. They've got a fascination with New York in that place. Well, people traditionally, Irish immigrants, used to leave from Shannon. Oh, was, right. was the okay. closest. And in fact, the old flying boats used to so then the next stop would be, I think, uh, would be New Newfoundland flying out. So the, the Shannon Port was a famous airport, was a famous point of emigration to um, to the There US. are to New York uh, all over the place. Yes, You'd I know. see so it from here. And during the famine yeah, and, yeah. and periods of downturns in the mm-hmm. Irish economy, traditionally, you know, the, 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 the this wild Atlantic way was very depopulated by immigrants, by, by literally you know, hundreds of thousands of Irish leaving for the state. So they're very close ties between the expatriates. So what can Irish. you do on this island? Can you do any tours of the It's not really like an that? island. What is it? Or, or, or it's, it's, a, it's a peninsula. You can do peninsula, a cycle okay. tour. It again has a unique, like the borough, and a unique ge- geology. The landscapes are just fabulous. Um, the, it has these sea stacks, these eroded piles of limestone rocks. Again, well known for its uh, for its bird viewing, for its fishing, and for it, they call them the Bridges of Ross. Again, a, a discovery point um, on the Wild Atlantic Way, which are these natural rocky bridges linking the mainland or this peninsula of the Loophead to the islets. And it's a spectacular sight. And you can walk over these turf-covered bridges of Ross, which are the, and 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 underneath you, you know, with just a thin layer of turf, out literally walk offshore the the Atlantic. Uh, you know these whirlpools and and uh, sure, maelstroms are whirling underneath you, um, so it is quite something. And according to our guide, uh, Cian Murphy, who's the chairperson of Loophead Tourism, he takes people on cycle tours, which must be a, a, amazing. And we also visited the lighthouse. Now I was going to ask you about that because it's a tall building. Yes. And you <laughs> climb things. Yes. So yes. I'm assuming you went and climbed it. Well. 
I just had to. You know? <laughs> Give me a bridge and a mountain, um, and I've got to go up. You know, I'm not so good on going down under in in caves. No, and, but you go, you'd rather go up. Okay. So it's a 23 meter high lighthouse built in 1854, and I just had to go up to see if I could spot New York <laughs> from the top because it was such a clear day, and it's the mm. most westerly point of County Clare. And you were looking in the right direction, and, I take uh, it. So I asked the former lighthouse keeper. Apparently, the last lighthouse keeper left here in 1992. So it's one of some 80 unmanned lighthouses around Ireland today. And uh, he said, nope, no, he took a good look around and then j- joked, I don't think they can ever see it. He says, nope, nope, can't see New York today. Um, and, <laughs> it's a bit funny. Uh, yeah. But the scattered remnants of the Spanish Armada passed this way over four centuries ago. So apparently hundreds of drowned sailors washed up on this stretch of coast. And the few who survived were executed while oh, coming shame. ashore by the Irish. And that's so, what they just made it another day. And near where that's we stayed nice. the night at the Armada Hotel, which had this very evocative, you know, all these pictures and stories on the Spanish Armada. So very atmospheric. Uh, and you really do feel this this wild Atlantic way just just takes you wild? to, you know, these to, to sort of secret is it wild? destinations. It is very wild, yes. Okay, Especially but now, in the pub late at night. Yeah, oh, well, yes, <laughs> we won't go there. Now, you, you didn't do the whole thing. You just popped on and popped off somewhere. We did. And you're coming to the end of it now. I think you finished in Limerick. We did, yes. Of so course, Limerick, as, any, as anyone knows, yeah. is, is best known for their very funny little poems, yes. which apparently they've had competitions for years, but none of them are clean enough to air on radio that I, no, I do know, but I'm no, sure no. there are. I'd like to keep my Limerick, job if you yes. don't mind. But uh, <clears> we took another local car ferry, and it, this is one of the great things is that, you know, if you are driving it, you'll take um, car ferries and you'll take diversions onto islands. And so the Wild Atlantic Way and around these remote peninsulas really just, just takes you off the beaten track. On arriving there, in fact, we saw a for sale sign up outside Glynn Castle. And our guide, um, Virginia, told me it's apparently, she said it's been the, it's the first time the castle's been on, on the uh, market for 700 years. Wow. And so I said, well, how much is, is it going for? So she said six and a half million euros, which might be a big ask in mm. rands. Yeah, well, it's, it's slightly large. 90 yes. million rand. Mm. And it's the vast estate of the last Lord Glynn. But I did find out, she said, did you know that your own Tolman family from South Africa, who owned the Twelve Apostles and, and Bushman's, Bushman's Clough, Clough yeah. and the um, Oyster Box, the Oyster Box and, in, mm, up in um, Slunger Rocks, yeah. Rocks Hotel, have recently bought and relaunched and renovated Ashford Castle, which is in County Mayo in the north. And it's one of the grand old homes of Ireland. And it's now open to the public. And apparently, one of the big attractions for all the American tourists who come to Ireland is that The Quiet Man was filmed there, starring John Wayne and Maureen oh, O'Hara. Really movie, and okay. all these film buffs come there. And also nearby, on the way into Limerick, we passed um, the old flying boat uh, museum, the old amphibious um, seaplanes. That's what you mentioned uh, earlier, yes, how people absolutely. were getting to New York and, on these things. And yeah. so, in fact, Shannon Airport was, you probably know the stories, where Irish coffees were invented because... Mm. People would apparently fly in or drive to Shannon Airport, and then often the weather was really bad, and the and and so the plane couldn't take off until the morning. And the uh, the guy who ran the bar at Shannon Airport concocted this way of keeping people awake by serving by mixing Irish whiskey and and, and coffee, and and in fact invented Irish coffee was invented for the immigrants. <laughs> and this is a true story in the 1940s or 50s at Shannon. Well, thank Airport. you for that. I enjoy yes. a good Irish coffee. I mean, I haven't had one for a while, but yes. Mm. What what can you actually see in Limerick other than uh, good rhymes around the corner but what else is, what is there well, it's, it's one of the oldest cities in Ireland it was named UK City of Culture last year oh, right. so there's been a lot of renovation um, especially along the banks of the uh, Shannon River and, it, and it's this grand medieval city with, with gorgeous you know a cathedral and, and squares and a custom house 
And so there's a great sense of history on a walking tour of Limerick. It was conquered by the Vikings who sailed up this river and then by the great Irish chieftain, Brian Boru, in the late 10th century, and then by the Normans. And we went to, in fact, uh, King John's Castle, uh, which is one of the main attractions, uh, heritage attractions in, in Limerick. And it was built by King John I, the brother of Richard the Lionheart, in the 13th century. And it's recently been renovated and has this huge multimedia display. There are knights in costume, um, and you can even get to have a fake um, okay. sword fight, if you like, because <laughs> it's very interactive in the courtyard. It explores the thousand-year-old history of, of Limerick and all the conquerors and invaders over the years. So I really enjoyed visiting the majestic St. Mary's Cathedral. It's founded in 1168 on the site of the former Viking Parliament, the Palace of the Kings of Munster. And lastly, anyone who's either seen the film or read Frank McCourt's Angela's Ashes book, you can do a tour of all the great literary scenes, which is a very funny tour um, of uh, Limerick, because he was one of the, the sort of novelists or the favourite sons of Limerick, along with the actor Richard Harris, um, who's one of the city's favourite sons. So it's quite got a lot to see and do yes. in Limerick. It's worth, it's worth certainly a stopover if you're on the Wild Atlantic Way and w worth spending perhaps a day in the town um, before heading back into the countryside. I mean, there again. seems to be a lot to do, but what was your highlight of Limerick? Well, the highlight was undoubtedly a visit to the Hunt Museum, and it's not a hunting museum. It's actually was donated by antiquity collectors John and Gertrude Hunt. It's set inside the grand old customs house in, in Limerick, and it's famous for its gallery of rare Irish medieval artefacts, which in fact go back to Bronze Age shields. It's renowned for its rare Sheila gig stone, um, which I'm sure Sorry. you've heard oh, of, Carl. Yes, yes, oh, abso you know, absolutely, yes. You find Sheila gig in the National Museum. For those who museum. don't know what it is, you know, okay. tell me. But in fact, it was old stone carvings found outside, I think, from about the 12th century onwards, which guarded the entrance to a lot of Irish country chapels and churches. Sheila Nagig was the Celtic goddess of fertility. So an almost erotic statue, and one that is such a surprise to find. In fact, the curator asked me if I thought I was old enough to see it <laughs> when I asked him to show me the Sheila Nagig. But they also have these bog butter um, what? containers. Bog um, butter? Yeah, apparently... 2,000 years ago, Ireland already was known for its dairy industry with this wet, well-watered island. Mm. And they filled these old ceramic and uh, metal containers with butter. And they're perfectly preserved. Now, I've got to take their word in it because I didn't try so a thousand-year-old butter on my toast with my oh. marmalade in the morning. It's not part of the great Irish breakfast. So it actually is preserved butter. And they call them, it's called bog butter. And our guide quipped when I said, you know, she said, you know, anything that fell in a bog was perfectly preserved uh, <laughs> because, you know, it was petri would become yeah. petrified like peat. You know, mm. peat has its origins, a, a sort of early form of coal in these bogs. There are many Irish treasures there um, include in, in the Hunt Museum, including the Cashel Bell, the Crosses of Antrim, and many chalices from Galway, Arthur, and the Middleton. So um, they've got a fantastic collection of modern art there as well, from Henry Moore and then running back to Picasso, Renoir, Gauguin. And this is all in the town of Limerick. So the Hunt museum if you are in town you could probably spend four hours there um, and it was really a discovery i'm a little bit concerned now because i want to ask you something Have you, are you giving up this traveling around food and whining and eating and exploring the world to go for a new career i believe you're now starting to make copper things you're making <laughs> little 
trinkets out of copper now? Is this a new career for you? Well, Limerick is famous for its traditional and modern Celtic crafts. And uh, the Limerick Craft Hub is a place where some 40 artists in uh, felt, silk, ceramics, jewellery, silver, bronze, copper, they all work to create, you know, jewellery and and modern uh, felt scarves and and wear. So we visited there and Handmade in Limerick is, in fact, their brand. And I got to spend two hours in, in the workshop of one of the silversmiths, a man called Fergus Grant, who said I'd crafted possibly one of the most bizarre shamrock key holders ever seen in <laughs> Ireland, which could also double as an earring. And mine what is particularly it? intricate and, and, and bendy. Well, I felt like I was back in a nursery school arts and crafts <laughs> session with paper and scissors. It was supposed to be a sort of a traditional shamrock a key, oh. key, key holder, but I made mine so finicky and small <laughs> that I I'm not sure what it looks like. In fact, they found it in my bag on the way back with customs, and even they sort of looked up and held it, couldn't work out what it was, and I couldn't until I remember. And I said, no, no, that's my own, my very own unique artwork. Um, so <laughs> Fergus is very kind. But next time I think I'd, I'd probably do a session with one of, there's a chocolateer there well, who makes homemade truffles. Mm. And at least you can eat the, the, well, the, yeah. the, the you know, and, and make sure that a few of them don't work out and you have to eat them immediately. It sounds so. very similar to what we have here in Capeland at Montebello. In yes, yes. That sort of it would be a similar sort, sort of, of thing. Almost Except you sort can of sit in and make your own felt scarf with um, Yeah, there are some the places artists, like yes. it at Montebello. And oh, you, there, you can yes. go and do classes and do yeah. things well, they'd be well advised to, to close if they see me coming. I'll warn um, them because you live very close by there. Maybe yes. they should, I'll give them a, your picture and say if you see him coming, close yes. the door because you never know. So we ended our tour at the old milk market in Limerick and all the farmers coming. Oh, nice. And in fact, okay. I met the owners of the famous St. Tola's Goat's Cheese. Oh, um, really? And was able to do a sample tasting. And I mean, and? They, they really are gorgeous. It's all made from unpasteurized mm. sort of natural goat's cheeses. Um, it's nice that that sort of tradition is still mm. carried forward. That, and unfortunately, I had to leave the Wild Atlantic Way there, although I will be back to finish. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are days. you going to do the rest of it? I, I mean, how I, much? I want to do the whole tour, the whole way and drive it. How, um, how like much of this 66. did you do? What sort of percentage of oh, the of the route did you just do now? A few hundred kilometres, so Out of? perhaps ten or twenty percent. Oh, that. But I have gosh. done different parts in the past, okay. in the north and the west. So I suppose I have done it like most people would do it in, in different bites, mm. rather than trying to, to, to sort of do it all in one go. But that would be nice to How do. How long just were the you symmetry. there now this time? I was there for two weeks. So you did this little bit, in, and you did but all I of did that. I did this little bit in about a week, so I also went up north to do a tour of the uh, grant, the top sort of ten country homes, all the grand oh, now you tell country me. houses of around Belfast. And, no, we and can't talk about that north. now. I need to know about that now. You, I'm the sorry, Graham. Entry. You don't have to come back. I'm so, you, you didn't tell me about that before. I thought we were just doing this. Okay, but now there's extra stuff. Well, you're going to have to come back. Sorry. I would like to do that. Good. I also t- visited, of course, Dublin on the way out and did the 10 most bizarre things, including oh, like shaking that. hands with an 800-year-old mummified crusader. Oh, Oh, so I'd love now to you tell see, you see why that. didn't you tell me this before? Well, they're all going to be waiting now. You're going to have to come back. Well, we'll have to see you again. for. A, I'm sure that's going to be more than once again because this <laughs> sounds like a lot of stuff. But I'm very grateful that you've come in a second time on just on the Wild Atlantic Way. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. It's been great to revisit it. And, and we'll I would advise anyone who enjoys a road trip to think of doing this. Well, let me tell you that Graham visited the Wild Atlantic Way as a guest of Tourism Island. And if you'd like to go, it does sound somewhere that needs to be on your bucket list and you need to be booking those tickets soonest, you can call Tourism Island. They're in Johannesburg on 011-463-1132. There's a few websites, island.com, wildatlanticway.com and limerick.ie. 
And that's it for time to travel for this week. And uh, as Graham was just telling me right at the end there, he didn't tell me before, but he's also been, as he said, to Dublin and to go and visit some of the grand castles and homes and all those things. So he's going to have to, You can, if you enjoy listening to Graham, I bet you he's going to be back for the next two weeks after this. So if you enjoy him, make a note to tune in again next week and the week after because he's going to be, have to come back to tell us all about that. Well, I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And if you've missed any information, you can find it on Facebook. Go to Travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za and don't forget there's a list of documents and I'll be posting lots more of those things about what to see and do all over the country as well as all the information on the unabridged birth certificate travel documents you're going to need to take with you when you travel with your children. Well I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report so join me then but it's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker. Hello Stephen are you also off Graham like me? I was going to say I'm not liking him very much Mm -mm. at the moment. Uh, Those road trips, all that time in Ireland, all the wonderful things he gets to do. And then he gets to talk about it as well. So, yes, they do say that uh, travel journalists have the best job in the world, although a lot of them deny it. Anyway, I don't believe them. And uh, with you until midnight, a very good evening before we get into nighttime music for this Wednesday night news time.